0: is mentors saying, the mentee will never actually understand that I got more out of this than the mentee did. That The the mentor is fundamentally changed by the mentoring relationship at the end of the day. They learn things like how to actively listen and to work with their employees in a a more meaningful way. And that has a positive impact on the actual manager's capabilities and ability to, to empower their teams and to lead.
1: Helping CEOs and business leaders discover the energy to perform exceptional brilliance and positively impact the lives of those around them. Be inspired by world leaders and next level gurus. This is the active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong. And now your hosts, Craig Johns and Ben Gathercole.
2: On this episode of the active CEO podcast, we speak with a man who is extremely passionate about people and culture. He has excelled in audio and visual production, sound engineering, 3d animation and the topography space working with top bands, such as savage garden and hoodoo gurus, as well as doing front of house production for many artists and festivals, such as blues fest. Since 2013, He is a co-founder and director of his family businesses, Art of Mentoring and Horizons Unlimited. He is at the forefront of mentoring technology and program design in Australia. They design, implement and support over 1000 mentoring partnerships each year in association, corporate, government and university industries. In his spare time, he is a board member of two BBB radio station And is a member of the australian human resources institute and family business australia i'm excited to introduce you to a highly successful and determined entrepreneur who is at the forefront of the hr technology space alex richardson alex welcome to the show
0: thanks for having me craig that was a very kind introduction thank you
2: yeah you're welcome so you're a very creative person and Can you tell us about your background and were you always a curious kid in the playground?
0: (laughs) Yeah, look, um, it's interesting that you use that word creative straight off the bat, because that would be really one of the words that I use to define myself and what I'm really passionate about. No matter what it is that I do and no no matter what pursuit I I look at um, going down the road of, I I really look at it as a creative uh, outlet. So um, from the get-go, I've always been really passionate and interested in music, um, as, as well as acting when I was a child as well. Um, so creative outlets were very, very important to me from, from the outset. But I take that into every pursuit that I do, whether it's um, relationships with uh, you know, my wife or my, my son, or whether it's relationships with friends and family, um, even with uh, work and the, the, the bits and pieces I do on a daily basis as well.
2: So usually those really curious and creative type people come up with lots of ideas. So how do you compartmentalize and I suppose ensure that you stay focused on what you're doing, but also make sure that you're not missing out on those those opportunities that you're coming up with all the time?
0: It's a very good question I guess one of the the downsides of being a creative is that you you do have a lot of ideas and maintaining that focus is a really important piece of that puzzle um, for me uh, you know you mentioned about um, being a kid before I think when I was a when I was a child I um, was dyslexic was um, you know often, uh, quite unfocused in the classroom and often wanting to do lots and lots of different things. Um, it was something that I struggled with for a very long time, and I wasn't actually diagnosed with dyslexia until I was um, in year seven or year eight, about 13 or 14 years old. Um, and when I was finally diagnosed with with dyslexia, they, um, it often comes with something that's called Orlan syndrome, which is where the, um, the brain, the left and the right hemisphere look after the, the um, visual image that comes from your eyes and hits the back of your brain where you have the visual cortex that picks up those images and, and um, interprets them. And they're intended to hit simultaneously at those, those back cortexes. And what happens is when, um, one, when you've got dyslexia, often one of the hemispheres maybe processes something slower than the other. So what happens is rather than those um, those uh, signals hitting at the, exactly the same time, they actually hit with a slight delay, and it causes what's called phasing with the light. So often what you see as white light has all the, the colors of the rainbow in the spectrum of that white light. But for what I see with white light, I actually see a lot more reds, orange diagnosed me with this this um, Erlen syndrome early on as well or when I was about 13 or 14 and this completely um, changed my life because what I saw was chaos on the page basically when I went to read um, when I looked at, at, at letters on the page often the capital letters were the same size as the lowercase letters um, a, a lot of the lines I would skip, I was focusing on the white background and the black gaps on the white background as opposed to the black on the white background. Um, and it made it very difficult to focus. So what this, um, this, this center did that I, I worked with around that Erlen syndrome and dyslexia was they taught me meditation um, and working with my hands as well. And this completely changed my life as well as um, some green and gray blue very uncool glasses that I had to wear (laughs) during school time Um, but it it actually changed my life in that I was able to now rather than being in amongst chaos that was something that was really difficult to kind of deal with um, but was also very exciting because of all of the different creative pursuits that you can kind of come out of chaos with um, was this ability to now focus and bring my attention to a, a single task at hand and to, um, con- to continue to give my all and um, my, my entire being to that particular task in order for it to get done. As a game changer for you. Yeah, definitely was. And it's something that I, I actually maintain throughout my adult life. So I, I meditate on a daily basis. And for me, um, it... You know, getting the most out of your day and being the most productive that you possibly can be, is about how you start your day. So, if you start your day from a, a from a really great point of focus and productivity and, and wellness, so you know, for me, my morning ritual really looks like um, getting up and, and meditating, doing some some exercise, so some kung fu or or some sort of physical exercise, and eating really well. So you know, a bowl of fruit and Um, you know, uh, some different things to really start the day in a a positive, in a focused manner so that I can maintain that throughout the day and have a productive day moving forwards.
2: So taking that creativity, your early career was focused on sound and video production, especially in the music industry. What inspired you to be involved with singers, musicians and entertainers? Mm.
0: Look, um, when I... When I was at school, I always knew that music was an, a creative outlet that I wanted to pursue. It was something that I had a lot of passion. And of all the things that were chaos for me, um, this was one of the things that I was really able to, to focus quite heavily on. So music was always a, a really big um, part of my life. But also, the, I always felt as if the, the music teachers at school understood me the best. Um, and I was able to really build some mentoring relationships w- with um, some of those those teachers who who really took me through and believed in me and were able to give me a leg up in in life from from that point of view. So um, music became a real integral part of my life in my schooling life. Um, it also connected me outside of. Um, So, you know, I I grew up in a Jewish family and a Jewish community in Sydney and it gave me the opportunity to branch out of that community and see the the world as the bigger place that it actually is. So it took me into um, realms of, you know, African music and um, Asian music and and lots of different um, communities and different cultures as a result. So it became a huge passion of mine to actually um, pursue music and it became one of my my core identifiers for who I am as a person. Um, growing up uh, with my, my parents, my parents were both uh, executive coaches, professional mentors, um, you know, very successful business people. So I had a great model, uh, a role model in terms of that side of things. But there was a little bit of a clash when it came to uh, the, the creative side and the musical side. So, um, you know, growing up during the, the teenage years, uh, my parents did a fantastic job and I work with my parents in a family business today. Um, so that's testament to, you know, the fact that we get along. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, there was definitely some friction that occurred because of that. So as soon as I finished school, I, I went and studied sound engineering in um, Byron Bay, actually. And it was one of the best things that I ever did because I, I left school and went straight into study and I left the home and I had to fend for myself. You know, I had to um, do whatever I could to, to earn rent, to pay the rent and pay the, the tuition and, and, and get through the, um, the, the tuition and the training that was there. Um, and I was very lucky because the Sound Audio Engineering College, SAE, um, that was there was the headquarters at the time of SAEs all around the world. And it had some of the best recording studios that, you know, money can really buy. And I had access to these at my fingertips. Um, and being a musician, unlike a lot of the other sound engineers that were training there, um, you know, they might dabble in music as well. I actually w- was playing with a lot of bands at the same time. So I was able to bring bands through the, the um the studios and learn a lot and build some really great relationships and in the end some great mentors um, came out of that at SAE and then after I left that as well I ended up um, working in Melbourne um, you know with a music production house that and a film production house called Music and Effects um, and worked on the film Red Dog and a, and a lot of other films um, during that time and also ended up with a, um, a fantastic mentor called Charles Fisher, who is the producer of um, Savage Garden and Hoodoo Gurus. I didn't actually work with those specific bands. I've worked with a lot of other bands, but um, he actually mentored me, and and we built a studio with the keyboardist of um, Pseudo Echo, and I helped run that studio, and had some fantastic mentors along the way who really, you know, showed me a path not just in the music industry and the sound engineering kind of area, but also in terms of how to, um, how, how to get the most out of life, I guess, and, and how to be the best at, at what you do that you possibly can be.
2: Yeah. What a phenomenal experience growing up there and, and getting to you know, be, inv- use your creative side and be involved with some pretty amazing people by the sound of it. People that have had a major influence on you. So, what, what for you, are some real key cues that you're looking for to ensure that the sound and video quality is amazing?
0: Mm. Um, for me, sound engineering is like painting an audio picture. Um, when I was at SAE, one of the last projects that we were allowed to do was a, a creative project, <laughs> of all things. And... Basically, we were given free reign, as long as the lecturer um, approved the project, to, to, to have a three-semester period, so an entire year, to work on a particular creative project. And what I chose to work on was um, the effects of music on the brain and the way that that shapes um, our our perception of the world, um, you know, societies as well, and, and the social fabrics that are created through music, um, the uh, effects that that has on the brain and the well-being of, of people as well, and I I created a lot of uh, in that um, that thesis that I ended up writing. It was a, a thesis that I put together. I started to draw some connections between um, things such as meditation and um, uh, and and constant practice and focus of the brain and activities that we do with music. Um, and there's a great a, a great professor called Daniel Leviton. If you've not um, read the book this is your brain on music um this it's a fantastic book and a complete game changer um oliver sax also has a fantastic book called musicophilia which has inspired daniel in in, in a lot of ways i think um but there were some really amazing studies that that came out of that and I'll, I'll relate this back in terms of um the creative pursuit of of sound and the way i see it as painting a picture in a second but um, you know, what they actually found was that music is the most engaging activity for the human brain out of any activity that you can possibly do. Um, And the reason for that is it it requires so many different parts of the brain to work in harmony with with each other um, and shuttle information from the left to the right and the right to the left hemisphere simultaneously while it's actually conducting those tasks. So your auditory cortex will pick up the sound your, your brain then decodes that sound and starts to interpret it. So you've got emotional reactions to, to music, whether it's sad or happy music. That's often defined by the structure of the harmony, the pace of the rhythm, these kind of things, which are all um, being interpreted by your brain mathematically in a very, very short period of time. You, you're using your memory to work out you know, does this sound like B.B. King on the guitar or does it sound like John Mayer singing or, you know, who are the people that are actually involved here? And you can quickly discern in a very quick way who's actually playing there. You know, your, your brain is working out uh, spatial uh, recognition of, you know, how big is the actual space that's there. So, for example, does it sound like a Buena Vista Social Club album where they're in a big hall and recording it live with everybody in that hall or does it sound like they're in their garage or in, in a bathroom recording? And that all has to do with the, um, the the amount of time it takes for the reflection of the sound to occur within the room and then to reach your left and your right ear in a stereo image. Um, so really for me, what it became was, it, you know, both music and sound have a responsibility to to paint a picture and to evoke emotion and to... Um, create that activity in a person's brain Um, but you can do so in a really creative way through a lot of the uh, understanding a lot of the different mechanisms that your brain is using to actually interpret the sound so that's from things like the spatial awareness or the the use of harmony and and melody to try and evoke emotions in people or or memory as well But another piece of that puzzle, which was a really fascinating one for me, and it's one that I I think about on a regular basis, especially now being a a new father of a three-year-old son, um, is this this idea of social fabrics that's created through music, in particular through music genre. And um, one of the studies that Daniel did was he brought um, all of these uh, one-year-old babies into a room. And... The, the, the context to that was um, he had picked out a, a large group of women who were pregnant at about the same time and gave them, uh, in four groups, he had four groups, one of three all had different music that they had to play their child in the womb from 14 weeks old when the auditory cortex is actually functional. Um, had to play this music to them every single day until the birth of, of their son or their daughter. Um, one group wasn't given any music whatsoever as a control group. And then once the babies were born, they were asked not to then play that music to the baby moving forwards. And then at one year old, they brought these babies back together um, and in a room played the music one by one over the loudspeakers to this group of, of one year old kids. And as much as one-year-old kids can do, they started to actually become active and build social connections within the room when that particular music was played over the loudspeakers. And what that what that shows us is that actually music is a social fabric that, that actually pulls people together. And it makes a lot of sense if you really think about it. You know, if you look at the, the schoolyard, people often gravitate to people that they that they know or or um, or that they that they like because of the music that they listen to or the the similarities that they have within the music. So that might be rock and roll music or hip hop music or jazz and classical music. And often you can categorise a particular social um, construct of people that are there um, based on the music that they listen to. Um, and often you see that similarities within friendships. So all of a sudden, music to me had a um, a responsibility and you know, just as much as the musician does, the sound engineer or the producer has that that responsibility or the the um, the person doing post-production sound for films does as well to, you know, really evoke some of those emotions and paint that picture, but do so responsibly as well and understand the actual social impact that they're having through the
2: the activity of music. How fascinating. I, I could talk about that all day and, and maybe <laughs> just tie in a little bit here. So, so when you were say preparing and delivering for a music event or festival what's involved from a sound and video producer you know especially when you talk about the importance of that quality of sound and how that affects the social fabric and and the way people interact
0: Mm. um i mean i worked a lot on studio productions so a lot of my time was spent on albums within the studio and often that's about what timbres what sounds do you want to paint um what musical instruments are you going to bring in in this section and so on so you have a lot more of that creative control when it comes to festivals or events it's it's a much more difficult thing for a, a sound engineer to actually have an impact on that often the musician is in a a much stronger seat of responsibility in that sort of circumstance, but there still is um, a, the the possibility for a sound engineer to really connect with the musician in a in a strong way, to really understand, you know, what, what it is what is it that you're trying to say or trying to do in this performance, and how can I bring the best out in that and give you the best. Um, uh, opportunity to, to actually make that impact or do that particular task that you're trying to do within the social fabric of the people that are standing there and are listening and in the moment. And, you know, I talk with a lot of my musician friends about the fact that, you know, recording an album is, is, is a kind of snapshot of, of a lot of work that you've done over a period of time. But an event is where you've got people captured in that particular moment and you've got the opportunity to do that. And it's very interesting because there's a lot of um, movement coming from the millennial musicians that we're seeing come out talking about um, social responsibility, talking about wellness, talking about well being, talking about, um, you know, things like. Um, becoming vegan or vegetarian and social conscious and all of these things are starting to make their way back into um, the musical messages that uh, that um, I feel as though have been lost over the last couple of decades in a, in, in a certain way as well. Um, if you look at, uh, there's an interesting study done on, um, you know, the names, the titles of music, for example, and it was showing that um, in in the '40s and the '30s, uh, 1930s and 1940s, there was a lot more music that had nature in the title, um, as opposed to today's um, music that has a lot less. So you know, you think about music from the 1930s and '40s. You might think about Blue Moon or Blackbird or these kind of things, and it, it evokes conversation about nature and about that connection with nature and potentially well-being and love and all these kind of things. Um, and I think that. From what we're seeing from from millennials is that movement into that space of, of well-being and, and and singing about topics such as, um, you know, looking after oneself and, um, you know, meditation and connecting with the higher purpose and all of these kind of things coming back into the conversation and into the lyrics and into the messages that, that people are putting out there. Now, as a sound engineer, it's about, I guess, looking at that and understanding the... Um, the, the purpose that the that the musician has and giving them a platform which is their sound and and that the the stuff that's coming out of the speakers that then has an impact on the people that are in front of those speakers to then you know understand how you're going to paint that picture for the musician um, and frequency has a lot to do with that you know the the the, the frequency and the harmonies and understanding um, you know what you know what this song is actually uh, achieving in terms of a minor, um, a, a minor key signature, or a, or a major one. You know, is it a, a, an emotional reaction that they're trying to get of of sadness or of I- introspection, or is it an emotional reaction of happiness and, and joy and, and celebration? And therefore, you can really start to look at what are the different techniques and the different sound elements and the palette that I'm using the paint with, how is it going to evoke some of that emotion and some of that impact that the musician is trying to achieve through the actual um, the sound engineering that you're doing and the, the front of house sound that the
2: um, I guess the punters are, are, are really experiencing at the end of the day. So that creative aspect that you're talking about there about the way you position different instruments and the way you evoke emotions... Is that quite similar to what you did, say, with animation and three D animation, or is it a different type of approach?
0: Look, the the animation side of things of of what I've done and and I guess video as well have been a lot less creative in that sense in terms of the way that I portray that. Um, I think what has happened is a lot of the video and animation stuff has come into the business that we run, which is the art of mentoring. And the art of mentoring um, is is there to really build up the capability of mentors and mentees and connect people and help organizations implement effective mentoring programs. And in that sense, I've used video to, um, to educate mentors and mentees around their responsibilities and their opportunities to create a social impact of their own. So again, it's creating... A platform for these um, mentors and mentees to get the most out of their mentoring relationship. So that the animations are really there to help embed some of the learnings and to create some of those learnings to then um, to stick in their brain and not have what's called the learning curve where you know you, you learn a particular thing and then you only retain 20 to 30 percent of that learning. Well, the, the, the beauty of mentoring is that in a mentoring program, when you train someone up to be a mentor or a mentee, they immediately go and practice that learning that they've actually taken on board because they're in a mentoring program. Um, so therefore, the the learnings that they take forwards are, are embedded. But from a, a 3D animation and a visual sense, that's a really powerful way that people learn. So I'm... I'm very auditory in terms of my learning. Obviously, um, with the music and the sound engineering, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, but a lot of people are, you know, kinesthetic, they're, they're visual, they they're learning in different ways, and they're embedding. Um, and we learn this a lot from things like neurolinguistic programming and and you know psychology that people are learning and and taking on information and retaining information from certain preferences of ways of learning, and visual is definitely one of those. So. When I did take the, the approach of, of creating videos, for example, for the training for the mentors and the mentees within our programs, I definitely took it from, from that context in terms of a creative point of view as well as a, how do I get the most out of um, the, the mentors and the mentees who are actually going to take this course, for
2: example. So in 2013, you pivoted your career and became an entrepreneur. What was the trigger for you to start a business with your family?
0: Mm. Well, it was a conversation <laughs> that happened in um, my mother and father's backyard. And we were I was talking to my mother who said, you know, we've got this business and we've been working for over 20 years in executive coaching and mentoring and, and um, you know, leadership development, facilitation. And if we were to end the business, then... Um, you know, we'll, we'll we'll pretty much have nothing to show for it. We'll just shut the doors and, and move on. And so I asked the question, um, you know, have you thought about building a product that you might be able to sell or, or something along those lines? And she said, well, actually, you know, I've been asked by one of my clients who's running a mentoring program for women across um, Australia for rural and remote and regional um, female managers of, of, of um, you know, the resources sector. Um, They're looking for training uh, that is really engaging and that's going to help upskill mentors and mentees in a really effective way, Um, but they're in really geographically dispersed locations, um, and therefore I've been thinking about putting together online training for mentors and mentees. So I was at a point in my career where, um, I'd done a lot in in sound engineering and in music. It had taken me to you know to, to Byron, then to Melbourne, then to Rio de Janeiro, um, and then back to Melbourne. And I'd done lots and lots of different things with it. And it was getting to the point where I was asking myself, well, in terms of a career and you know actually um, paying the bills and doing all that kind of stuff, music is a it's a difficult industry to do that with. And I was asking myself, do I want to move it to more of a a love and a passion and a hobby, as opposed to the centre of of my career. And so I offered to to hop on board and help my mother out with this online training module that we were going to develop. And um, for three to four months, we we hopped into that in, into that basket, and I really helped with the uh, you know the video production and the sound and you know voiceovers that went out throughout the the mentor and the mentee training that we have. Um, and it was a great project, but at the end of it I, I said, look, I, I'd, I'd really like to see, you know, going back to that social impact and, and what impact this could make, I'd like to see if I could make a couple of phone calls to a couple of mentoring programs and just see if they'd be interested in this mentoring training for their mentors and mentees and see if it's something that could actually make an impact. So for you know a couple of weeks I just picked up the phone and, and called a couple of people who were running mentoring programs and said, look, you know, we've developed this mentor and mentee training. Um, would you be interested in, you know, us showing it to you and potentially purchasing it off, off us for, for, for your mentoring programs? And we got such a huge um, uptake of the of the training and great feedback from it. We decided, well, okay, we think that there's a business here. Let's let's give it a go. And um, five years later, we haven't looked back.
2: <laughs> well, so that's
0: that's kind of how the the, the pivot occurred. Um, the the amazing thing was I've had this incredible opportunity to um, work with my mother and um, to really have the space from her and, and, and my father as well, but more with my mother. We, we kind of, um, you know, look after the, the business together and we founded the business together. But, um, you know, we've got a really complimentary style, which, you know, a lot of people come up to us and say, you know, how do you how do you do it? Um, you know, I would never be able to work with my father or work with my mother. And I think that the amazing thing that we have is that um, she's got this in, incredible business brain and incredible business background and the subject matter expertise of mentoring and coaching and neurolinguistic programming and psychology and counseling and all this kind of stuff that she's done in the background. And um, she's really given me the space to be creative within the business and become a, what I would call a creative entrepreneur, um, which is where I'm able to come up with ideas, um, work them out, and the the project management, and tool management, um, you know, the of the sound engineering and music days has really paid off for me, and I'm able to project manage some of these business ideas into fruition um, in a really creative and different way that. Um, you know, my, my mother wouldn't do if it was doing it by the book, if you will.
2: <laughs> so, so, what was the transition like for you from being an employee to becoming an owner? It was a big one. I, I mean, it was a big
0: step up in terms of responsibility and understanding how businesses work. That's for sure. Um, I mean, in in terms of you know, day to day delivery and project management, i I really didn't see very much difference though. Um, because in the in the music world I was always taking it on as I want to do my best and I really want to achieve something here and and get a, a, a seamless experience for either the music event or for the musician who was coming into the studio to record an album or for the production of this particular film that we were um, we were going to be working on, or, or whatever it was, I always came to it. You know, we need to. I, I need to work at it from, you know, the best of my possible capability that I can. Um, but also, I always wanted to work in teams and and empower the the other people within that team, within the musical team or the the production team or whoever it was, to to do their best as well. So. I just took a lot of those mantras and those learnings that I had, um, you know, come across in the music industry, and brought them into the, the business world, and it's it's paid off. I didn't know whether it was going to, <laughs> but it but it has in the end. Um, you know, we've got a really interesting team. We're we're a, a, a virtual team. Um, you know, I, I moved regional and rural once we got the business properly set up and in a way that we could do that. Um, and our our team is almost entirely virtual. We've got a team of about 14 staff across the country of Australia, and um, that comes with it its own challenges. And I think one of the most difficult things for a business to do with a flexible workforce or a virtual workforce is to maintain that that creativity, um, and and to be able to come up with new and and effective ideas as a team, and keep that teamwork going as well, um, and and. I think a lot of what I learned on the road with, with um, music production, tour management, front of house sound, all of these kind of things that I've done and, and the, the great things that I've done from you know the smallest gigs to the biggest ones in stadiums in front of 30, 40,000 people, you know, it's really about that you know working as a team and sticking to that vision or that purpose which is what the the um the musicians had at the at, at the crux of it. Um, and bringing that into the a, a, a business world.
2: So you describe Art of Mentoring platform as a, as a win-win solution with both individuals and businesses you know, reporting really high satisfaction rates. You, you even note that the return on investment for businesses is about 500%, given that it helps transform company culture, improves employee confidence and self-esteem, it increases leadership capabilities, and ultimately improves employee retention rates. That's very powerful. You know, what is it about Art of mentoring that provides such a high return on investment?
0: Yeah, um, great question. Look, we we're really dedicated to um, successful mentoring programs. So, at the core of that is um, research and evidence base. So, um, you know, my, my mother was instrumental in in um, helping write with a committee the the international standards for mentoring and coaching programs, and was a trustee of that. Um, committee, and was involved in helping um, pioneer those with the European Mentoring and Coaching Council. And for us, it's it's really about taking the the best practices and the core standards that uh, have are tried and tested. You know, these are, uh, are techniques that come from you know ancient Greece in terms of 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 the the roots of mentoring. It's a tried and tested. Um, uh, tool, I guess, um, that has a lot of experience that it can share with uh, anyone that's trying to implement mentoring or be a mentor or be a mentee um, to get the most out of their mentoring program. So, from our point of view, the the number one thing is to ensure the success through um, some uh, some effective structure, but not too much structure, but also some evidence based and some research that then um, helps organizations implement effective mentoring programs Um, it's about then empowering both the mentors and the mentees and the program managers all three of those key wheels within the machine of the mentoring program to be successful in their role so that's about upskilling the mentors in you know how do you build that confidentiality and that trust and that rapport, how do you then also bring into the relationship some some basic skills that coaches and, uh, you know, counsellors or professional mentors would actually bring to a, a conversation. So that's things like holding back from giving advice and jumping in and giving advice, but actively working with the mentee, listening to them and working with them to guide them to their own conclusions. You know, for the mentee, it's about... How do you drive the relationship and take responsibility for it and um, also build that rapport and trust and that confidentiality around the, the relationship so both parties feel comfortable? And then from the, the mentoring program manager's point of view, it's about empowering them to get best practice into place and get the most out of their mentors and mentees as well. And if you get all of the – it's kind of like, I guess, baking a cake. It's If you get all of the recipes right in the right amount of quantity, then you get – this delicious outcome right <laughs> um, so the idea is having all of the ingredients at, at, in your hands and that's what we really do as an organization is we give um, we give other organizations the correct and, and the right ingredients to get the best out of their mentoring programs which in turn gets the best out of their people You know, when we when we hear feedback from mentoring programs, often the last thing that uh, that we hear in the mentoring program during the program close is mentors saying, the mentee will never actually understand that I got more out of this than the mentee did. Um, That. The mentor is fundamentally changed by the mentoring relationship at the end of the day. They learn things like how to actively listen and to work with their employees in a, in a, in a more meaningful way. And that has a positive impact on the actual manager's capabilities and ability to, to empower their teams and to lead. Um, from a, a mentee's perspective, often some of the things that we hear are there are self-limiting beliefs that are in place. So things like imposter syndromes or feeling of lack of self-confidence or um, needing affirmation around what they're doing is the right thing. And you know a mentor is really well placed to, to help a, a mentee with that. And the outcomes of that, if you're wanting some tangible um, evidence or examples of, of how that works, often we hear from mentees, I would never have gone for that promotion or I would never have, have pivoted to that particular um, thing that we're, 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 I'm, I'm looking to do now with my career, um, if it wasn't for the fact that my mentor asked me this hard question. So a, a, a story I like to share is of one mentoring program um, that we we help implement, and we've matched in the last year. I think it's about six thousand pairs, so about twelve thousand people over the last twelve months that we've we've actually matched within our programs, and um, one of the the stories that came out of it was of a, a young professional who was matched up with a mentor, and the mentor asked him why he was in the profession. And when he said why he was in the profession, which the, the, the basis of it was, you know, it's, it's well-paying, you know, it's what I've always wanted to do, it's what I aspired to when I was a, a kid at school, um, the mentor said, well, do you love what you do? And the person said no, and he said, well, is that enough? And eventually, that particular mentee said, no, it's not enough. And went off and actually started a, a, a not-for-profit charity that helps set up orphanages in Africa now wow. um, and moved from their professional, um, their, their, prof- their professional career to one of making social impact. So from my perspective, what I love about what it is that I do is that I wake up every day and go to work making a difference in the world, not just earning a dollar. So I know that the mentoring program of the 12,000 people that we've we've touched over the last 12 months, I know that a large percentage of them are going to make some big decisions in their lives because of the mentoring programs that they've got, um, and from the, the the feedback that we get over 80 to 90% uh, of the mentoring relationships that go through our programs are coming back as the people saying that they are satisfied or more, with over 40% of them saying it's one of the best things that they've ever done in their career. So from an organization's perspective, you, you need to think about the fact that you're giving them an experience here that actually defines their career and defines their lives in a big way. And you're giving that to them and they're going to associate that with your organization, which is what in turn creates that retention and engagement um, in the long run and builds that positive culture at the end of the day, um, which is why we can, we can actually quantify that some of the, the return on investments can be seen as up to 500% on investment or even more for some of the unquantifiable stuff.
2: There's a lot of power in that mentorship program. And obviously from a mentor, it's that art of listening and the art of questioning that is so powerful. We all know smart people have great answers, but the best people ask great questions. When was the last time you did something for the first time? Mm. It's a really good question. Um, I'm always doing new things. As a
0: creative, I'm always looking for... New little projects to start, little creative endeavors to do, um, or visiting old things that I used to do. Especially as a as a new parent, I'm finding that I'm visiting a lot of the stuff that I used to do as a kid um, that I you know you don't do anymore as an adult because you 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 kind of trivialise it a bit, I guess. Um, so you know, but most notably, one thing that I've done. Um, So I still do a lot in the the music area. I play with a number of bands. I'm working on an album at the moment which is fusing um, African music, so Moroccan indigenous Berber music with Malian um, and Guinean uh, West African music, and modern production techniques um, from places like jazz and hip-hop and um, rock and roll and, and those kind of things as well. And that's taken me down the route as well of um, indigenous music because we've got a couple of indigenous artists that are coming and in, getting involved with that fusion of music as well. And one recent thing I, was, I had the privilege of doing was joining in on a particular ceremony out in the bush um, and connecting with country and you know so I'm always looking for these new things to do that help me connect and, and build teamwork and build social frameworks and build the ability to empower and capability of other people um, so yeah that's one thing I've done new recently
2: <laughs> Oh, awesome and I love the power of music where you can be so creative and there are no real rules around how you can bring to life an experience or a story for people.
0: Yeah, that and uh, what door you open as well. Like you can open any door. I think one of the best ways to learn about a culture, for example, is to to, to learn their music or to learn how to cook their food. Um, you know, that's a really great way to really immerse yourself in their
2: culture and, and put yourself in their shoes. I love that position. Very, very yeah. cool. Good way to approach it. What is the one question you would love to solve?
0: Mm. Mm. How can humans coexist in a, in a positive way? <laughs> sure. um, I, I was recently going on a, on a nature walk, which I do quite often with a, a, a close friend of mine, and he made the observation that humans have um, disconnected themselves or see themselves as separate from nature. So when they talk about their existence they talk about it in a way that's um, separate from nature itself so the, the, the natural order of things. and I've, I'm very passionate about um, music and nature and these experiences that people can have to improve their their well-being or their their, their self to connect themselves with each other as humans but also with the, the larger scheme of things as
2: well. Who has left the greatest impression and had the most impact on your career, and why? Mm.
0: It's it's a really interesting question. I've had some. I've I've been very privileged in the fact that I've had a lot of great mentors and people who have believed in me and helped guided the way. So from um, Daron Kippen, who was at Music and Effects, who you know straight fresh out of uni, took me under his wing and. Um, taught me a lot of the tricks of the trade and, and showed me how he was creative, but in a really um, professional and successful way. Um, Charles Fisher, who was that producer of Hoodoo Gurus and Savage Garden and um, you know a couple of other jazz musicians that brought me into some, some incredibly huge projects that I possibly wasn't equipped or experienced enough to be a part of and that gave me experience to some incredible stuff. Definitely my, my my parents, but I think my the person that's had the greatest impact on my career is my grandfather, um, and I think that's because when I was a teenager, he brought me into his um, silverware antique business to help him in the shop, just to help you know earn some money, and I, I watched his persistence and his hard work ethic, and you know he he used to have these these mantras and these little things that he would say that I I still come back to on a daily basis, like hard work never, um, you know, never, never hurt anybody. Um, and it's, it's important to work to the best of your ability. And these kind of things that he, he said to me really built for me some, some work ethics and some, some mantras for me that have been really positive in terms of the way that I've come to approach, um, you know my work day and, and and my career and the impact that I make in the world.
2: I love how the legacy of your granddad is following you or or you being a part of that now which is quite incredible
0: and and I guess I, I really you know it, it plays into that mentoring piece right I, I truly believe in there's experience that could be learnt from our elders that we can um, really be open to listening to you know, I think that there is a tendency to have an arrogance of you've you've stuffed it up, and um, you've got nothing to teach me, and Mr Google or Mrs Google will teach me what I what it is that I need to know. And there is so much um, power in 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 the the knowledge and the experience that people who have been there and done it before us can can you know really partake on on our journeys. You know, things like podcasts and so on are a great um, Medium for this as well, so I'm a I'm a big believer in that, and you know my grandfather
2: has definitely instilled that in me. So, how can people learn more about what you do and what is the best way for people to connect with you?
0: Yeah, um, look, the the art of mentoring obviously has a website, so artofmentoring.net is our website. So, if you're looking to implement mentoring programs or be an effective mentor or mentee, there's a lot of resources that are on that website that you can. Um, you know get get a um, get get in touch from there as well if you've got any questions or are interested in learning more about the best practices of being a, a great mentor or being a great mentee um, one thing I, I probably want to leave your listeners with is that a lot of mentors and a lot of mentees approach mentoring relationships with a, a, a small sense of anxiety and fear of am I going to do this well and am I good enough? And I'd say that everybody starts from that position and there's a lot of resources on our website but out there that you can take a look at um, that can help you build that confidence but just know that the mentee or the mentor are both feeling the same way coming into that relationship and it's about building a relationship and rapport and trust together Um, and it will evolve and turn into that trusting relationship over time and give each other the feedback on the impact that you're making on one another because often the other person doesn't know it.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, Alex, it's been an absolute pr- pleasure speaking with you today. I- I've thoroughly enjoyed learning about your experience with dyslexia and how you coped with that and did that, that power and the impact that going to... Um, I I suppose the the doctors or the specialists around that and how that was able to really be a game changer for you and bring out your really um, incredible creative side which we've seen evolve from the music industry and into the animation side and now kind of leading a business with mentoring. Um, It's it's quite an inspiration for me just to listen to you and feel that passion coming through. Um, So thank you very very much and we look forward to seeing out of Mentoring continue to grow globally and expand and have a major impact on so many more people.
0: Thank you for the opportunity to share my story. I hope it has
2: a positive impact on the people that hear it. On today's active CEO wellness tip, we talk about checking in with yourself. You know, it's really important to make sure that we ask the questions of ourselves Are we on track to achieve our goals? Were we happy with the way we communicated today? Are we tracking in the right direction? And if we come back with answers that aren't what we want, then we need to take some time to figure out how can we resurrect that and get ourselves back on that right track. You know, it's it's about thinking about what is it that you, your purpose in life and that what you're really driven for and that you are making sure you stay in line with that all the time. You, you know, you might take a few moments at the beginning of the day or the end of the day. For some of you, it, you might find it easier to do that every three or four days or the end of each week or the start of each week. It's about finding that routine and ensuring that we are making sure that we've got the right things in place, we're doing the right things, and that we're staying on track to achieve what we really, really want to in life. Now, what an incredible episode today with Alex Richardson from The Art of Mentoring. You know, he's, he's overcome a lot of challenges in his life, you know, dealing with dyslexia and and obviously the the issue around the colors on the, when you're looking at white and and being able to solve that through meditation and, and also a few other techniques. What that enabled him to do was really bring out that creative inner self that he has. And it's been able to be you provide a lot of magic for people in the music industry and in the film industry. And now as a leader in an organization that is empowering many people through the mentoring relationship, both with mentees and mentors. And it was fascinating for me just to listen to some of the insights, you know, what makes a great mentor, what makes a great mentee. And that whole thing around being a mentor was the art of listening first, and the art of questioning it. You know, it's not about providing advice so much, it's about sparking that curious nature and that curious side of the mentee so they can maybe see things they don't normally see. You know, sometimes you need to have that, someone looking from the outside in and to to just unleash something that you are a little bit blinded to sometimes when you're just focusing on yourself and what you're doing. So a a great conversation and um, you know, I really, Encourage you to go and look at what other of mentoring are doing and then also think about how powerful that mentorship can be both for yourself as a person um, If you're a CEO or leader of a company then how can you create better relationships and conversations with inside your company through mentorship type programs or abilities, you know, they don't always have to be structured. They might be a little bit informal but I think there's so much power than you can see the results. You know, we talked about the return on investment for the company being, you know, more you know, 500% or more and how that impacts both employee retention It it helps with productivity and just the overall, the growth of the relationships with people we work with. You know, we, it's always so much easier to work when we in, uh, enjoy working with people when we understand them and we have some connection with them. This is the Active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't
1: belong. Join the Active CEO movement by visiting www.nrgtoperform.com. That's nrg2perform.com. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to tag in NRG to perform. Leave a review on iTunes. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the NRG to perform Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong.